Section 11 of Chateau and Country Life in France. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chateau and Country Life in France by Mary King Waddington. Chapter 5 Ceremonies and Festivals. Part 3 Mavroy. October 31st. It has been a beautiful, warm, bright autumn day, and, for a wonder, we have had no frost yet, not even a white one, so that the garden is still full of flowers, and all day the village children have been coming, begging for some to decorate the graves for tomorrow. I went into the churchyard this afternoon, which was filled with women and children, looking after their dead. It is not very pretty, our little churchyard, part of a field enclosed on the slope of the hill, not many trees, a few tall poplars, and a laurel hedge. But there is a fine open view over the great fields and woods, always the dark blue line of the forest in the distance. They are mostly humble graves, small farmers and peasants, but I fancy they must sleep very peacefully in the fields. They have worked in all their lives, full of poppies and cornflowers in summer, and a soft gold-brown in the autumn, when the last crops are cut, and the hares run wild over the hills. I think these two days, the Toussaint and the Jour des Morts, are the two days I like best in the Catholic Church, and certainly they are the only ones in our part of the world when the churches are full. I walked about some little time looking at all the preparations. Every grave had some flowers, sometimes only a faded bunch of the last field flowers, except one, where there were no flowers, but a little border of moss all around, and a slip of pasteboard on a stick, stuck into the ground with, A ma mère, written on it. All the graves are very simple, generally a plain white cross with headstone and name. One or two of the rich farmers had something rather more important, a slab of marble or a broken column, when it was a child's grave, and were more ambitious in the way of flowers and green plants, but no show of any kind, none of the terrible bead wreaths one sees in large cities. There was a poor old woman, nearly bent double, leaning on a stick, standing at one of the very modest graves, a child about six years old with her, with a bunch of flowers and a broken cup she was trying to arrange at the foot of the grave. I suppose my face was expressive, for the old woman answered my unspoken thought. Ah, yes, madame, it is I who ought to be lying there instead of my children, all gone before me except this one grandchild, and I a helpless, useless burden upon the charity of the parish. On my way home I met all the village children carrying flowers. We had given our best chrysanthemums for the pain béni which we offer tomorrow to the church. Three or four times a year at the great fates, the most important families of the village offer the pain béni, which is then a brioche. We gave our boulanger carte blanche, and he evidently was very proud of his performance, as he offered to bring it to us before it was sent to the church, but we told him we would see it there. I am writing late. We have all come upstairs. It is so mild that my window is open. There is not a sound except the sighing of the wind in the pines and the church bells that are ringing for the vigil of all saints. 
Besides our own bells, we hear others, faintly in the distance, from the little village of Neufchelle, about two miles off. It is a bad sign when we hear Neufchelle too well. Means rain. I should be so sorry if it rained tomorrow, just as all the fresh flowers have been put on the graves. November 2nd, Jeux des Maux. We had a beautiful day yesterday and a nice service in our little church. Our Pambonie was a thing of beauty and quite distracted the school children. It was a most imposing edifice. Two large round brioches, four smaller ones on top. They went up in a pyramid. The four small ones go to the notabilities of the village, the curé, two of the principal farmers and the miller. The whole thing very well arranged, with red and white flowers and lighted tapers. It was carried by two enfants de coeur, preceded by the beadle with his cocked hat and staff, and followed by two small girls with lighted tapers. The enfants de coeur were not in their festal attire of red soutans and red shoes, only in plain black. Since the inventories ordered by the government and all the churches, most of the people have taken away their gifts in the way of vestments, soutans, vases, etc., and the red soutans, shoes and caps, with a handsome white satin embroidered vestment that C gave the church when she was married, are carefully folded and put away in a safe place out of the church until better times should come. After luncheon we went over to the Soissons in the auto, the most enchanting drive through the forest of Villers-Cotterêts, the poplar trees a line of gold, and all the others taking the most lovely colours of red and brown. Soissons is a fine old cathedral town with broad squares, planted with stiff trees like all the provincial towns in France. Many large old-fashioned hotels, entrecourt et jardin, and a number of convents and abbeys, now turned into schools, barracks, government offices of all kinds, but the fine proportions and beautiful lines are always there. The city has seen many changes since its first notoriety as the capital of the France of Clovis, and one feels how much has happened in the quiet deserted streets of the old town, where almost every corner is picturesque. The fine ruins of Saint-Jean-des-Vignes faced us as we drove along the broad boulevard. A façade and two beautiful towers with a cloister is all that remains of a fine old abbey begun in 1076. It is now an arsenal. One cannot always get in, but the porter made no difficulty for us and we wandered about the courtyard and cloister. The towers looked beautifully grey and soft against the bright blue sky, and the view over Soissons with all its churches and old houses was charming. It seems that Thomas a Becket, Archbishop of Canterbury, lived at the Abbey when he was exiled from England and had taken refuge in France. We wanted to go to the service in the cathedral, but thought we would go first to the Patissier, an excellent one, well known in all the neighbourhood, famous for a very good bonbon made of coffee and called Tour de Soissons, the little place was full. Every schoolboy in Soissons was there eating cakes and bonbons. There was a notice up in the shop, Lipton tea, and we immediately asked for some. The woman made a place for us, with difficulty, on a corner of a table, 
and gave us very good English tea, toast and cakes. I complimented the patron on her tea, and she said so many automobiles with foreigners, English principally, passed through Soissons in the summer, all asking for tea, that she thought she must try to get some. One of the ladies told her where to get Lipton tea and how much to pay for it. She has found it a very good speculation. We walked to the cathedral through a grand old square, planted with fine trees, that had once been part of the garden of the Aveche. As it was getting dark, we could not see the outside very well. A gigantic mass of towers and little steeples loomed up through the twilight, but the inside was very striking, crowded with people, lights, banners, flowers everywhere. Five or six priests were officiating, and the bishop in full dress, with his gold mitre on his head, was seated on his red velvet throne under the big crucifix. The congregation, there were a good many men, was following the service very devoutly. But there were a great many people walking about and stopping at the different chapels, which rather takes away from the devotional aspect. Unfortunately, the sermon had only just begun, so we didn't hear any music. The organ is very fine, and they have a very good choir. Neither did we hear the famous chimes, which we regretted very much. Some of the bells have a beautiful sound. One in particular, that used to be at Saint-Jean-de-Vigne, had a wonderful deep note. One hears it quite distinctly above all the others. All the bells have names. This one used to be called Simon, after Bishop Simon Le Gras, who blessed it in 1643. When the voice got faint and cracked with age, it was refondu, recast, and called Julie Pauline. It was quite dark and cold when we started back. We had to light our big lantern almost as soon as we left Soissons. For some little time after, we got out of the town, we met people walking and driving, all with holiday garbs and faces. But once we plunged in the long forest alleys, we were absolutely cut off from the outside world. It is a curious sensation I have never got accustomed to, those long, dark, lonely forest roads. The leaves were still so thick on the trees that we could hardly see the last glow of a beautiful orange sunset. The only sign of life was the Charbonnier's hut in a clearing quite close to the road. They had a dull light, just enough to let us see dusky figures moving about. This morning our church looked quite different. No more banners, embroideries or bright flowers. All draped in black, and a bier covered with a black pole in the middle of the aisle. The curé in a black satin vestment. All the congregation in black. I went out before the end of the service. All the black draperies and the black kneeling figures and the funeral psalms were so inexpressibly sad and dreary. I was glad to get out into the sunshine and to the top of the hill, where the cemetery gate stood wide open, and the sun was streaming down on all the green graves with their fresh flowers and plants. Soon we heard the sound of the chaunt, and the procession wound slowly up the steep straggling village street, a banner and cross carried by the boys and girls. Then the curé, with his ostensoir, followed by his enfant de coeur, carrying books and tapers, then the congregation. There were a great many people already in the cemetery, 
the little procession halted at the foot of the cross in the middle there were several prayers and psalms and then the cure made the tour of the cemetery sprinkling all the graves with holy water and saying a short prayer at each the procession broke up into groups all kneeling at the different graves praying for their dead there were not many men a few old ones they were not kneeling but stood reverently with bowed heads when the cure passed it was a pretty sight the kneeling figures the flower-covered graves the little procession winding in and out among the tombstones the white soutans of the boys shining in the sun and not a sound except the droning of the chaunts as it was fate one of the great religious fates of the year there was no work going on no labourers in the fields no carts on the road nothing but the great stillness of the plains we had our curry at dinner we were quite sure no one else would ask him and it seemed a shame to leave him in his empty presbytere on a fete day i think his evenings with us are the only bright spots in his life just now the situation of the priests is really wretched and their future most uncertain this government has taken away the very small stipend they allowed them our cure got his house and nine hundred francs a year not quite two hundred dollars in many cases they have refused to let the priests live in their presbyteres unless they pay rent the churches are still open they can have their services if they like but those who have no fortune which is the case with most of them are entirely dependent upon the voluntary contribution of their parishioners our little cure has no longer his servant the traditional plain middle-aged bon of the priest they are not allowed to have a woman servant under fifty he lives quite alone in his cold empty house and has a meal of some kind brought in to him from the railway cafe what is hardest for him is never to have an extra franc to give to his poor he is profoundly discouraged but does his duty simply and cheerfully looks after the sick nurses them when there is a long illness or an accident teaches the women how to keep their houses clean and how to cook good plain food he is a farmer's son and extraordinarily practical he came to us one day to ask if we had a spare washing tub we could give him he was going to show a woman who sewed and embroidered beautifully and he was very poor and unpractical how to do her washing i think the people have a sort of respect for him but they don't come to church everybody appeals to him we couldn't do anything one day with a big kite someone had given the children no one could in the house neither gardener chauffeur nor footman so we sent for him and it was funny to see him shortening the tail of the kite and racing over the lawn in his black soutane however he made it work he was rather embarrassed this evening as he had refused something i had asked him to do and was afraid i wouldn't understand we were passing along the canal the other day when the ecclusier came out of his house and asked me if i would come and look at his child who was frightfully ill his wife in despair without thinking of my little ones at home i went into the house where i found in a dirty smelly room a slatternly woman holding in her arms a child about two years old who i thought was dead such a ghastly colour eyes turned up however 
the poor little thing moaned and moved and the woman was shaken with sobs the father and two older children standing there not knowing what to do they told me the doctor had come in the early morning and said there was nothing to do i asked if they had sent for the cure no they hadn't thought of it i said i would tell him as i passed the presbytere on my way home he wasn't there but i left word that the child was dying could he go the child died about an hour after i had left the house i sent a black skirt to the woman who was then obliged to go to paris for two or three days when i came back i asked my gardener who is from this part of the country and knows everybody if the child's funeral had been quite right he told me it was awful there was no service the curé would not bury him as he had never been baptized the body had been put into a plain wooden box and carried to the cemetery by the father and a friend i was very much upset but of course the thing was over and there was nothing to be done however when we talked it over i understood quite well to begin with all priests are forbidden to read the burial service over anyone who has not been baptized therefore he had no choice and this man was not only an unbeliever but a mocker of all religion when his last child was born he had friends over from some of the neighbouring villagers who were freemasons they are a very bad lot in france they had a great feast and baptised the child in red wine i rather regretted the black frock i sent the mother but she looked so utterly wretched and perhaps she could not help herself the little cure is very pleased to have his midnight mass this year on christmas eve last year it was suppressed there was such angry feeling and hostility to the clergy that the authorities were afraid there might be scenes and noisy protestations in the churches perhaps in some quarters of the big cities but certainly not in the country where people hold very much to the midnight mass it is also one of the services that most people attend it is always a pretty sight in the country particularly if there happens to be snow on the ground every one that can walk comes one sees the little bands arriving across the fields and along the canal five or six together with a lantern entire families turn out the old grandfathers hobbling along on their sticks the women carrying their babies who are generally very good quite taken up with the lights and music or else asleep we always sing adam's noel in almost every church in france i think they sing it even in the big paris churches like the madeleine and saint eustache where they have orchestras and trained choirs they always sing the noel at some period of the service. Maroy, the 24 May. Today was the premier communion at La Ferté, and I had promised the Abbé de Vigne to go. I couldn't have the auto, as Francis was at a meeting of a syndicate agricole in quite another direction, so I took the train, about seven minutes, and I really believe I had the whole train to myself no one travels in france on sunday in the middle of the day it is quite a long walk from the station to the church the service was at notre dame the church on the hill with rather a steep climb at the end the little town looked quite deserted a few women standing at their doors and in all directions white figures of all ages were galloping up the hill 
The bells were ringing, and we were a little late. The big doors of the church were wide open, the organ playing, and a good many people standing about. The altar was bright with flowers and candles, and oriflamme of blue and pink gauze, worked with gold and silver lilies, were stretched across the church between the pillars. One or two banners with the head of the Virgin, and flowers painted in bright colours were also hanging from the columns. Two or three priests, with handsome vestments, white embroidered in gold, were officiating, and the choir boys wore their red petticoats, soutans trimmed with lace and red shoes and caps. The Suisse, Beadle, with his cocked hat, silver-embroidered coat and big cane, was hovering about, keeping order. Just inside the chancel sat the communion, fifty boys and girls, the girls all in white from top to toe, white dresses, shoes and gloves, and long white veils coming to the edge of the dress, and either a white cap, which looks very pretty and quaint on the little heads, rather like some of the old Dutch pictures, or a wreath of white flowers. With them sat about half a dozen smaller girls, also in white, with wreaths of white roses. They were too small to make their first communion, but they were to hold the cordons of the banner when the procession passed down the church. The boys were all in black, short jackets, white waistcoats and white ribbon bows on their sleeves. The church was very full, mostly women, a few men at the bottom. It was a pretty sight when the procession moved around the church. First came the sacristan, in his black skirt and white soutane. Then the banner held by two of the big girls, the group of little ones, some of them quite tiny and so pretty with the wreaths of white roses on their black hair, holding the cords and looking most pleased with their part of the function. Just behind them came the good old religieuse Sir Saint Antoine, hovering over her little flock and keeping them all in their places. Then all the communion, the smallest girls first, the boys behind, all carrying lighted tapers and singing a hymn to the accompaniment of the organ. They went first to the font, stopped there, and one of the girls read a sort of prayer, renewing their baptismal vows. Then they started again, in the same order, to the Chapelle de la Vierge, always singing their hymn and knelt at the rails. Then the hymn stopped and they recited, all together, a prayer to the Virgin. The little childish voices sounded quite distinctly in the old church, one heard every word. The congregation was much interested. There wasn't a sound. I don't know if it was any sort of religious feeling, some dim recollection of their early days, or merely the love of a show of any kind that is inherent in all the Latin race. But they seemed much impressed. While the collection was being made there was music, very good local talent. Two violins solely, played by a young fellow from one of the small neighbouring chateaus, whom we all knew well, and the Panus Angelicus of César Frank, very well sung by the wife of the druggist. The curé of La Ferté, a very clever, cultivated man, with a charming voice and manner, made a very pretty short address, quite suited to childish ears and understanding, with a few remarks at the end to the parents, telling them it was their fault if their children grew up hostile or indifferent to religion, that it was a perfectly false idea 
that to be patriotic and good citizens meant the abandonment of all religious principles. We waited until the end of the service. Francis and his friends arrived in time to hear the curé's address and watched the procession disappear down the steep path and gradually break up as each child was carried off by a host of friends and relations to its home. The curé was very pleased, said he had had a bell fate. People had sent flowers and ribbons and helped as much as they could to decorate the church. I asked him if he thought it made a lasting impression on the children. He thought it did on the girls, but the boys certainly not. Until their first communion, he held them a little, could interest them in books and games after school hours, but after that great step in their lives, they felt themselves men and were impatient of any control. End of section 11. Recording by Florence.